Bible this morning, go with me to the Gospel of Matthew in the 10th chapter. And while you're turning there, let me tell you that the good thing about preaching through the Bible verse by verse is that you don't skip the difficult parts. The bad thing about preaching through the Bible verse by verse is you don't skip the difficult parts. And I thought of that this weekend when we came to this text because it's kind of a difficult passage of Scripture. Now, it's not difficult in that it's hard to understand. And it's not difficult because it deals with some kind of a social issue or a moral issue that is divisive in our culture today. It's not difficult for any of those reasons. It's difficult because it talks about a really negative part of the Christian life. We touched on it a little bit last week at the end of the message. Remember when we began Matthew chapter 10 last week, we saw that there's a shift in Jesus' ministry. Up to this point, the disciples, his original 12, had been with him, but only as observers of all the things that he has done. But now, he's commissioned them and initiated their ministry into the world. He sent them out to discover and embrace their mission in the world. But before he does that, he prepares them. And we talked about several different things last week in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Several things Jesus said to them to prepare them. The last one we talked about is the fact that Jesus told them that they needed to be prepared to be rejected. When they went into the world, they needed to prepare to be rejected, which is a really difficult thing. Well, that's where we ended last week, but what we're going to see this morning is that as we pick up the text, Jesus continues to talk about this reality, continues to talk about the expectation of rejection and opposition in the world when you live for Christ. And so that's why I mean when I say this is a difficult text, not difficult to understand, but sometimes difficult to hear. So let's talk about that together today. If you've got your Bibles open there to Matthew chapter 10, go ahead and stand with me like we always do for the reading of God's Word. We ended our text last week at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. I'm going to start this week in verse 16, and we're going to read down to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 33. A little bit longer passage, but you follow along with me as I read. Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will, be, it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their pastors, or excuse me, their parents, probably their pastors too, and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than the many, more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. All right, there it is. You can be seated this morning. We always pray for God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of His Word. Here is an immutable truth that every person who is a follower of Christ needs to know. When you live for Christ in this world, you are going to encounter opposition. It's part of the package. That might sound crazy to some, especially to those who never experience any level of opposition in their life, oftentimes because their lives don't match their profession. But if you live a devoted life to Christ, this is true. You're going to experience opposition. In fact, look at these words with me on the screen from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Read them with me. Let me hear your voices. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Those words aren't just true in places like North Korea or China or Laos or other countries where the government is openly hostile to people of faith. These words are true on some level in every corner of this sinful and fallen world. And so in Matthew chapter 10, as Jesus sends out His 12 disciples to do ministry, He begins by preparing them for the reality of opposition. And just like I told you last week when we began to look at Matthew chapter 10, as Jesus prepares these disciples for ministry, He he prepares us as well. So here's what I want to do this morning. I'm not going to go verse by verse by verse through this part of the text like I did last week. We started in verse 1 literally and just worked our way through each verse down to verse 16. What I'm going to do with this part of the text is I'm going to draw four principles from the text that I think can help all of us be prepared for the reality of opposition in the world as we live our lives of faith. And I'm going to make an honest confession to you this morning. I realized after it was too late, that when I outlined this part of the Gospel of Matthew, the 10th chapter, and decided that I would preach a message on these entire verses, that they were really too many verses for one message. I went home last night, like I always do after church, and every Saturday night when I walk into my house, Sandy's usually fixing dinner or putting dinner on the table uh, because she knows about the time I get home every week, and she always asks me the same question. She says, how was Saturday night church? And I said, church was okay, but I think I preached the worst sermon I have ever preached in my entire life. Yeah, you can groan if you want to. So, I feel badly about that because there's so much in this text that I should talk to you about, but don't, have not given myself the time to do that today. But I just really prayed that the Holy Spirit would take my weak effort and find a way to teach and instruct and encourage your heart. So with those words, just putting you on the edge of your seat, I know, for what's about to happen next, let's dive into the text. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down, first of all, next to number one, that we need to make sure that we have a right attitude. As we face opposition in the world, because of our faith in Christ, we need a right attitude. And I go back to verse 16 where we begin, where Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What does that mean? 
Well, it means, first of all, that the world can sometimes be a very dangerous place for believers. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. It can be a dangerous place for believers. And so we need to find a way to be worldly wise without being worldly. I like the way one commentator I read this week paraphrased these words. He said, we need to be soft-hearted but not soft-headed. That's what Jesus means when he says, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. There are times when we have to be careful and wise in the way we deal with the people around us, with the world around us. This is very much the same thing that the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate when he wrote in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5 these words, he wrote, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. It's that first part that we pay attention to. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Let me give you an example of what this might look like by just using a moment from Jesus's life. If you've got your Bibles open still to Matthew chapter 10, hold your place in Matthew chapter 10, and I would love to hear pages turning to the right to Matthew chapter 22, and let me just show you an incident in the life of Jesus. When you get to Matthew chapter 22, I want you to scroll down to verse 15, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 21. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, him being Jesus, in his words. How many of you know that's not, this is not the only time they, people tried to do this to Jesus? His enemies were always trying to trap him, and it never worked. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now note verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Now, you see what happens here. The Pharisees send some men to try to trick Jesus into either defending the Roman government or condemning the Roman government. And they thought that this would be a perfect trap for him, because if he defended the Roman government, they could accuse him of being a disloyal Jew because the Jews hated the Romans and they hated living under the thumb of the Romans. But on the other hand, if he condemned the Roman government, they could say that he was involved in treason and they could report him to the authorities with the hope that he would be arrested. But Jesus didn't fall for their trap. Instead, we saw it in the text, he exposed their trap and he gave them the best possible answer. Now, there was so much about the Roman government that Jesus could have criticized in this moment. But he was not going to allow himself to be manipulated by people who wanted nothing more than to harm him. And so in this story, we see Jesus being as innocent as doves and as shrewd as serpents. And this is the way we need to be so often in the world. Now, honestly, I'll have to tell you this morning, I can't sit here and give you a number of illustrations or examples of how this might play out in your life. I can just tell you this is an important truth for you to remember as a believer living in a world that is oftentimes in opposition to Christ. 
I, I, I mentioned a, a few weeks ago a book that I read recently written by Bob Russell called After 50 Years of Ministry, Seven Things I'd Do Differently and Seven Things I'd Do the Same. Bob Russell, of course, was the longtime pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, just down the road. He went there when the church ran about 300, and 30-plus years later when he retired, the church ran over 18,000 on the weekend. He tells a story in the book about how back in the early 1980s, his church in Louisville raised a million dollars in a single offering for the purpose of building a new building. Now, truthfully, there are a lot of churches who raise a million-plus dollars in single offerings today. We've done that here in this church. I don't know if you remember that. It wasn't that long ago. It was a part of our God at Work campaign where we built our impact center, and we built the maintenance building, and we extended our parking lot. But 40 years ago, this was a really unique thing. And so there was a big story on the front page of the local newspaper that was picked up by USA Today. And Bob says one day he got a phone call from the producer of the Phil Donahue show, inviting him to come and be a guest on the show with some other panelists where the topic would be raising big bucks for churches. And the producer told him, I want you to know in advance that there will be people on the panel who disagree with what you are doing. Now, you younger folks, you might, I might say Phil Donahue, and you're like, who is Phil Donahue? <laughs> but just think of it like this. He was probably the equivalent of Bill Maher on HBO back in the 1980s. He was very antagonistic toward the gospel and toward people of faith. And Bob says he didn't know what to do, and so after a lot of prayer and a lot of counsel from his elders, he decided to decline the invitation. I think the thing that really stood out to him is one of his elders said to him, you'll be casting your pearls before swine. If you go on the show, you'll be casting your pearls before swine. You ever heard that phrase before? You know that comes right from the Bible, from the seventh chapter of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount? And the basic meaning of, of don't cast your pearls before swine, this is a very simple interpretation, but the basic meaning is you need, to be, uh, you, you need to be careful about offering something of value to someone who doesn't understand the value. And so the message is we need to be thoughtful and careful in the way we represent Christ in a world that's filled oftentimes with opposition. We need to have the right attitude. Right down next to number two, the second thing that I see here in our text, not only do we need to have a right attitude in order to handle the opposition that can sometimes come our way because of our faith, but we need to have a realistic perspective, a realistic perspective about the truth that this opposition will come. Now, probably to me, and I don't know if anybody else would agree, but the most significant part of our text is found in verses 17 through 23. And I wouldn't normally do this because it's a longer passage, and I know we already read it, but I want you to look back at those verses with me one more time, verses 17 through 23. We're back in Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> Jesus says, Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now listen to this. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Let's stop right there. Now, this is a, a significant passage here. This is a significant portion of this text, and it's 
It's filled with some very disturbing words, especially there in verses 17 and 18, verses 21 and 22. And I want you to know that there is a very prophetic aspect to this part of our text as well, because Jesus was not saying what he was saying just to those 12 disciples as he was preparing to send them out to do ministry. Jesus was saying what he was saying to all disciples, future disciples. He was saying these words to you and me today so many years later. Remember, I told you when we began chapter 10 last week that Jesus, as he prepares the original disciples for ministry, he prepares us as well. And that's especially true here, maybe more so here than any other part of the text, because you can't study this text and not see that Jesus is talking about more than any persecution these 12 disciples might experience during their initial tour of ministry. The truth is, we don't have any record of them even experiencing any persecution during this tour of ministry. But there's more going on here. Jesus is seeing a bigger picture here. And the kind of persecution Jesus is describing is a persecution that he knows is going to be around for a long, long time. So we need to pay close attention to his words. Now, I don't have time to talk about it in detail. That's one thing I regret this morning about this message. So I'm going to focus my attention on just two things that are highlighted each with a single word. I want to talk to you for a moment about opposition, and then I want to talk to you for a moment about opportunity. You might write those two words down in your notes. Let's talk about opposition. I don't think I need to say a lot. Remember, Jesus is telling his disciples, and in so doing, telling us today, that when you make a commitment to live for Christ in the world, you're going to encounter opposition. On some level, you're going to encounter opposition. And he even tells us that that opposition can come from organized religion. He says that in verse 17. He says that opposition can come from the government. He says that in verse 18. He said that opposition can even come from your own family. He says that in verse 21. But the bottom line, and that's not the only places it will come, the bottom line is opposition will come. So let's talk about that for a moment. Why? Why does there have to be this opposition because of our faith? Well, look back at verse 18 for a moment. In verse 18, Jesus said, On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Now, I don't know, we've talked about this before, I don't know if you're averse to writing in your Bible or making marks in your Bible, but you should circle, highlight, or underline the words, On my account. Because that answers the question, Why does opposition come into our lives? Jesus is explaining why Christians face opposition and why it's sometimes so harsh. And I'm going to summarize it like this. It's because the world hates Jesus. Now, I know that sounds harsh. And there might even be the temptation in some of you to push back on that when I say it. But you need to know that those words don't come from me. That's not my decision or my conclusion or my thought. That's what Jesus himself says. If you look back into this section of the text, in verse 22, the very first part of verse 22, Jesus says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. There's only one way to interpret that. But just in case you're still undecided, look at these words Jesus speaks to these same men later on in their lives recorded in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. He spoke those words in, John, in Matthew chapter 10. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. 
Jesus says, if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. Now, a great question that comes from that passage of Scripture is this. What is Jesus talking about, or what does Jesus mean when he uses the word world, when he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first? Well, in the original language of the New Testament, that's a pretty common word. It's the Greek word cosmos. We'll put it up on the screen. And it's used in the New Testament in three different ways. You can see those three different ways up on the screen. First of all, to refer basically to the planet, to earth, the world, what we normally think of when we use the word world. Secondly, sometimes it's used to describe people, or in other words, the inhabitants of the planet. The most familiar verse in the Bible, arguably the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the what? Say it with me. World. The world. Who's Jesus, who's Jesus talking about when he says that? He's talking about people, right? But the third way it's used, the third context in which it's used, and I've written this out directly from the New Testament Greek lexicon, is like this, a description of the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. And that, friends, is the meaning or the context of the word world as we encounter it here in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Jesus is talking about the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. Now listen, there are people like this in the world today. Now, having said that, and listen to me really close, I'll be the very first person to say, I'll, get, I'll be first in line to say that I know that not every non-Christian in the world today is hostile to Christ. But the truth is, many are And Jesus says that when we manifest His presence and His character in our lives in the world as a result of our deep devotion to Him, there will be times when we encounter a hostile reaction to those in the world who are hostile to Him. So let me ask you this question. Has that ever happened to you? I'm sure many of us could give our own story about how it's happened to us on at least some level. And this is the reality of what Jesus is trying to communicate to those 12 disciples and to you and me today. There's opposition to Jesus in the world today, which means there's opposition to the people who follow Him in the world today. Now, the second word that I told you I wanted to talk about or focus on for just a moment is the word opportunity. And I want to go back to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 18 for that. Look at that verse again. Now, we read this a moment ago, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And let me tell you what I see here. Jesus is basically telling us, as he's telling us about the reality of opposition, he's telling us that the opposition we face for our devotion to Christ can sometimes lead to an even greater opportunity to be a witness for Christ. Now, I believe there's a a very strong, I believe this is a prophetic passage of Scripture here But I want to go back to the original 12. I believe there's a very strong application in these words, in this verse, for the lives of these 12 original disciples. Take note of the words governors and kings. He said, on my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Those obviously represent greater opportunities to witness for Christ. And those words, if you're familiar with the lives of Jesus' disciples and those who came after him, those words were lived out and fulfilled in the lives of those disciples. And so the opposition, as bad as it was, presented the opportunity 
for an even greater witness to Christ. And if that was true in their lives, then I've got to believe that that can be true in our lives as well. One last thing before we move from this point. I want to tell you this. There are some comforting words here that Jesus shares as he talks so openly about opposition. He gives us some comforting words, and those comforting words are basically summarized like this. No matter what kind of opposition you face, no matter what kind of position that opposition puts you in, you're never going to be left alone. God is never going to abandon you. Look back at verses 19 and 20. In chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, it says, he says, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. God is not going to abandon you. How many of you know this is true? God is never going to abandon you, ever, no matter what you walk through in life. Even these moments of opposition where you might find your back up against the wall and you find yourself in a desperately difficult situation, surrounded by hostility. God is never going to abandon you. Right down next to number three, the third thing I draw from here, and I got to do these last two quickly. The third thing I see, and we can do this one quickly, is is that we need to have a practical approach. There needs to be a very practical, I would even use the word pragmatic approach to how we live as believers in a world where there's opposition to Christ. And I'll just go back to the first part of verse 23 for this point, the first part of verse 23, Jesus says, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Now, is that Jesus telling us that we should run from conflict, that we should never stand up for what we believe? Everyone say no, no. He's not telling us that. Of course not. But we need to be wise. Remember, we started off by talking about being as innocent as dove, but as shrewd as snakes. We shouldn't seek persecution. We shouldn't campaign for opposition. And when it's possible, we should avoid it. Why? Well, because we need to be wise enough to know that there are moments when the opposition and standing up to it make a difference, and there are opportunities when it doesn't. When we deal with people who oppose us, there might be moments when we just recognize that we're better off to move along. One of the things that Jesus told the disciples in the first part of Matthew chapter 10, when he was preparing them, and it was the last thing we talked about last week when he talked about they need to be prepared for rejection, is he told them in verse 14, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. And there are moments when that needs to be the case. I think all of us are wise enough, if we're mature in our faith, to understand that there are moments where we can have an impact, and there are moments when we're just doing what we talked about earlier. We're casting our pearls before swine. We're giving something of value to people who will never understand that value. And so, sometimes it's best just to move on. That doesn't mean every time you have a problem with somebody, you should move on. That doesn't mean every time you have a problem at work, you should, that's God's will for you to get a new job. Or you have a problem with, at home, that's God's will for you to find a new husband or a new wife. Anything like that. And it doesn't mean that we sidestep conflict or we sacrifice the truth when we know it's an important moment. It just means we've got to be practical in our approach. Right down next to number four, a clear commitment, and Brian can come and we'll get ready to close with this. This is part of the text that I really regret not having more time to talk about. Verses 24 through 33 are are an important part of the passage, and what what I'm doing for for our time together is I'm, I'm seeing in verses 24, 23, what I believe is one of the greatest blessings that comes from 
persecution, one of the greatest blessings that comes from facing opposition in the world because of your faith. The blessing is it gives you the opportunity to evaluate your priorities, to really decide whether or not you're committed to Christ. And I see that in three statements Jesus makes. Let's look at them quickly. The first one's in verse 24. Jesus said, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. Remember we read from John 15, Jesus said, remember I said to you, This is where it was. A student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. And what Jesus is basically saying is he's telling his disciples that if the teacher suffers, the student suffers. If the master suffers, the servant's going to suffer. And he's telling them that because he wants them and us today to know what to expect. And so if you want to live a conflict-free life, if you don't want to face difficulty in your life, then you make sure You're very careful about who you become a student of or who you become a servant of because if you're a student of Christ and a servant of Christ, then you can expect the same treatment on some level that he received. The second one is Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Jesus makes a strong statement here. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body or excuse me, both soul and body in hell. What's he saying there? He's saying that when it comes to your commitment, you shouldn't fear those whose only power is to kill the body, physically, the body, because that's just temporary. Instead, you should fear the one who is able to kill both body and soul in hell because that's eternal. And the explanation of that is very simple. He's asking, are you going to fear man or are you going to fear God? And this is a question that clarifies our priorities, friends, because it clarifies who we're going to serve. It clarifies where we're going to give our allegiance. It clarifies who we're going to bow down to. Am I going to fear man or am I going to fear God? Am I going to seek to please man or am I going to make it the highest priority in my life to please God in all things? The third passage comes in verses 32 and 33. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. I don't think that requires a lot of explanation. When we face opposition, we also face a choice to respond like a Christian, devoted to Christ, with a confession, with an acknowledgement of that devotion, or somebody who doesn't have that kind of faith. Listen, just because Jesus said that we should avoid conflict when possible doesn't mean that he expects us to shy away from conflict or water down our beliefs or compromise the truth or anything like that. He doesn't want us to go through life suspicious of everyone we meet, always looking for a fight, but he wants us to take a stand for his name when we have an opportunity to do that. And when you find yourself facing opposition because of your faith, then one of the things that happens is your priorities, what's important to you, will be clarified very quickly in the way you choose to respond. Well, as you know, we're called this section of Matthew's Gospel, which is chapters 8, 9, and 10, glimpses of greatness because what we see in these three chapters is Jesus doing great things and Jesus calling his followers to embrace a greater life. And if you embrace the greater life that Jesus calls you to, you will face opposition. That's a biblical promise. My concern, my concern 
is that not enough of us are willing to embrace that greater life fully enough to even be noticed by a hostile world around us. I read a, I saw a picture this week of an impoverished-looking man who lived in the country of India, and the caption, like these were his words, said, you feel sorry for us in India because of our great poverty and material things. We who know the Lord in India feel sorry for you in America because of your great spiritual poverty. We are praying that you also might come to church with a hunger for God and not merely a hunger to see some form of amusement. How hungry are we for God today? How much do we hunger and thirst for righteousness, for rightness with God today? If that is the deep desire of our heart, we will experience on some level the reality of opposition in a world where many are hostile to Christ. But we will never be on our own. We will never be alone. And listen to me close. There will never be a single moment when God doesn't know exactly what you're experiencing. I love these words that come toward the end of our text. They begin in verse 29, and this is how we'll close. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God knows. God cares. God is always with you. I want you to pray with me. Thanks, Lord, for a chance to talk about these things today and now. 